0: The Authentic Accountant is sponsored by Intuit. Intuit helps you leverage the latest technologies and works with you to create tomorrow's future innovations for your firm. Visit quickbooks.intuit.com. Welcome to the Authentic Accountant Podcast with Seth David and co-host Erica Ed. If you've ever wanted to know the real story behind the most successful business leaders in the world today, stay tuned. Every story doesn't have an instant success peaches and cream background. We'll ask the questions that need to be asked and get the true stories of success. Now,
1: here is Seth David and Erica Ed. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. My name is Seth David, and I'm here with my co-host.
2: Hey, everybody. I'm Erica Ed.
1: And we have a very, very special guest with us today. But first, Erica, do you know what I did this morning?
2: I'm going to take a stab in the dark
1: here. Did you get on QuickBooks Online? I No, I didn't. No, you I'm just kidding. The, of course I did. You got I on did. the
2: app, right? On your <laughs> yeah. phone, in your bed?
1: <laughs> I went on the app. Checked my balance, made sure I wasn't running out of money, still in bed. Because this way, if I am running out of money, I can just stay in bed, you know? Um, No, I'm kidding, of course. But as I always like to mention, I love the mobile app for QuickBooks Online. I love the fact that I can get in there and update my bank feeds and then run my balance sheet and check everything, right? Yep. Because the balance sheet's the key and just the fact that they were smart enough to say, let's give them the balance sheet and the profit and loss, at least in the mobile app. For the rest, we can log into the full, you know, web app in order to, um, <clears throat> you know, run the rest of the report. So, love that. Love QuickBooks Online. It's my favorite accounting product in the world and on the planet. Um, we do have a special guest today, and her name is Jill Conrath, and she is a speaker, an author, a thought leader, and we're going to get into all of it. But first, Jill, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on our show.
3: Thanks for having me today.
1: All right, so Jill, we were uh, sort of <laughs> referred to one another by a mutual friend, and um, you know, since that time, I've kind of done a little reading, finding out about you, who you are, what you do, who you do it for, and we're going to get into that. But first, what I'd like to do, as is the format of our show, is I want to go back in time right? Our format is what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. So, this first part, what it was like, I'm curious to get your backstory, right? What were you like as, as a youngster, as a child? What were your interests? And I'm curious to get your perspective on if and how those interests as a young child might have shaped where you wound up in your career.
3: Um, I would describe myself as nerdy I love growing it. up. Um, I was You a belong. Nerd. Yep, I know I was a really good student. <laughs> Unlike most nerds, I had a very social mother, though, who felt it was essential for me to develop social skills. And so she kept kicking me out of the house to go play with people when I would just have soon been in my bedroom reading. Um, but that's how I grew up, with a very social mother who would invite people, invite my 13-year-old friends over for pizza parties, because she liked having pizza parties. And so, she, <laughs> so I learned how to be social as a nerd at a young age. Um, if I look back on my high school career... I mean, I was very engaged and involved in high school, but my favorite thing of all in high school was um, yearbook staff. And I liked yearbook staff because I had 30 blank pages to fill. Mm. And it was the first time in my life I had blank pages. I didn't have to do an assignment or, you know, a report that, that was, you know, for anybody else, it was my 30 pages. And it's so funny because... Uh, probably uh, in 2005, my first book came out, and it was like, "Oh my God, I have blank pages to fill." And I actually got excited that they were blank. You know, it was the first time I'd ever written down what my, you know, what I'd learned in my life, and then I just have kept on writing. Cool.
1: That actually would be a great name for a book, just blank pages, right? Something like
3: that. <laughs> I'm not sure anybody'd buy it.
1: <laughs> I mean, would you well, buy a book
3: called Blank Pages?
1: It'd be a hell of a gag if it was a book called Blank Pages and inside that's all it was were empty all pages. It blank right?
3: pages, yeah. It would I, think be really they, good. I actually think
2: they have those books. They call them journals. They, journals, yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, there's that.
3: <laughs> yeah. But the other thing, um, just a backstory too. I mean, I did go and I was a high school teacher for a few years, pretty much hated it, um, bored. <laughs> Really bored because it was the same thing every day, same kids, they never got older. I kept having to deal with 15 and 16 year olds. Um, left and went into, got an idea to start my own company. Um, went to the, put together a business plan, went to Service Corps of retired executives, so a government agency, presented the plan to them, and they said, Oh my God, this is a great idea. And I roped some friends in, and then they said, Now which one of you three is going to be doing sales? And I went, I mean, I went, I looked at the guy and I said, I thought you said this was a good idea, and he, <laughs> it is, Jill. But somebody's got to sell it. So I said, "We're going to have to talk about this because not one of us likes sales. We all hate it, you know, intensely, and we just want to do the work and everything." So anyway, um, I had—I was the one who was the driving force, and I finally said, "Okay, you guys, I'll go into sales. I'm going to do it for one year because I hate it, but I will learn in one year everything." I need to know about sales so we can start the company. And the truth is I got hired by Xerox, I discovered this. my perceptions of sales were 100% wrong that it was extremely interesting and it was challenging and it is a I think it's a meta skill for anybody in any business because a, you have to grow your business. B, you have to sell people on the ideas and concepts that you have, even in your own company, to go certain directions. So, I mean, I've just found it a fascinating study and, and never went back to my original idea.
1: Okay. Wow. So, going back to the childhood, it sounds like, so nerdy, but mom was trying to push social on you. Did it rub off at all? Did it, or did, did you resist? Like, what was that
3: like? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Did I resist? Of course I resisted. I hated her for it. I um, don't <laughs> you know. And leave me in my room. I don't want to go play with the boys. You know what I mean? That was really who I was. But I, but by being forced into that atmosphere all the time, because my mother was like the perfect camp counselor, you know, rounding up kids to come into our house, I did learn how to behave socially. And then I'd go to my room and shut the door afterwards. Right. And breathe. <laughs> and go, oh, finally have some quiet time.
1: And academically, what were your interests? Like, what did you like studying back then?
3: Oh, I, I think I liked history back then. That's because I had some wonderful history teachers.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: But, you know, but I was a prolific reader. I mean, I was always curious in reading things. So probably of all things, I like reading.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, mean, I, I hated history when I was a kid. I, I love history now, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm reading a book called American Colossus, which, and I wrote a newsletter that I sent out not long ago, sort of depicting what I learned out of a piece of it, saying, I wish they taught American history this way when yeah. I was in school. Yeah, It was because it teaches it from the perspective of, it's, it's really all about the Gilded Age and how all these guys like Carnegie and Vanderbilt, how they really built our whole economy, how they built mm-hmm. its foundation way back like in the 1800s, you know, mm-hmm. and now I find that stuff fascinating.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think when they taught history, they pretty much taught it in terms of who was fighting who and what war, yeah. you know, and that was all. And then you go to European history and you've got all the Kings and Queens <laughs> who married yeah. who and, you know, it's like ugh, boring.
1: Yeah, and here I'm, I'm reading about our American history from the business perspective, and I'm finding it fascinating. I bet I would have found it a lot more fascinating back then yeah. because case in point, so Cornelius Vanderbilt, you know, started out on, ferrying people from Staten Island to the New York Island is what they called it back then, right? And then he, I didn't they,
3: know
1: that. I, I didn't either. I didn't know any what? of this until I started reading this book. And then, but I'm going to tie this into something that's very relevant today. Mm-hmm. So eventually they opened up uh, the, um, the Hudson for commerce, right? And originally, there was an exclusive contract that one guy had with the state of New York and it went to court. Another guy fought them on it and it opened it up and Cornelius Vanderbilt saw an opportunity and he started uh, building a fleet of boats that would carry goods up and down the Hudson and making a lot of money with it. So what happened next is, and this is where it's going to start to sound familiar based on a theme we see a lot today, is that uh, competition started to come in. Right? Mm-hmm. Other people said, oh, I see an opportunity here. We're going to mm-hmm. do the same thing. So what do you think Cornelius Vanderbilt did? He bought those companies to get rid of the competition.
3: <laughs> that Sound familiar?
1: Yeah. Sound like
3: Google, right? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right? Not a new theme. The whole disruption thing, the whole let me buy up these companies so they can't be competitive with me. Anyway, I, okay. now I find history fascinating because I see it from a whole different light compared mm-hmm. to how they taught it. Mm-hmm. So what kind of books did you like to read? History books or other things? No, um, science fiction. Okay.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and biographies back then. But science fiction, I kind of worked my way through the entire library in science fiction.
1: Nice. Nice.
3: Do you have a favorite author? Well, Isaac Asimov back then because he was really I was going to say, there. I was
1: trying yeah. to remember him. Yeah, he's, yeah, I used to love his books when I was a yeah. kid.
3: Yeah. yeah, he was really good. And, and I just, you know, but I mean, I just put me in the science fiction section and I was so happy and, you know, take me to Star Wars and Star Trek and, you know.
1: And what did you study in college? What was your sort of major?
3: Education. Taught Education. Myself. Yeah.
1: Interesting. So I can actually see how that eventually links into doing a lot of work in sales, right? Because, I mean, in my experience, and we'll talk about this more in the upcoming segments, but sales to me is really about educating people.
3: Yes. And, and what I discovered, I discovered a couple of things. In things. To be a good teacher, one of the things I taught you is how to create a lesson plan. Meaning every day, rather than just walk into the classroom and saying, you know, what the heck am I going to do today? You had to, you had to know where you're going. And so I'm going to start the day here and I'm going to end the day here. And here's what I'm going to do in between to help my students understand and learn more. But the second thing I discovered was that the best way to rope my students in was to ask them really good questions. Not like how many of you agree with this, you know, that's a yes or no question, but if this is true, how would that affect your life? Mm. You know, or if you take a look at these four things, which, are the, which would be the biggest priority to you and why did you choose that? And what it was your criteria? So you could actually come up with questions to make people think. Mm-hmm. And when I went into sales... What was fascinating to me is I was hired by Xerox and Xerox um, used a program called Spin Selling at the time, which was all about spin in our vernacular today. It means like lying and you know, twisting the truth. But in that time, spin was an acronym that stood for the types of questions to ask people when you were selling. And the first thing you had to ask was S, what is their situation? You know, how are they doing things today? You know, what is their current status quo? The P was to ask about the problems, like what were they trying, first of all, what were they trying to achieve and what difficulties were they having in achieving their goals or objectives? So that's focused on the problems. The third thing was the I, which was implication, which was really about so if you're having problems here, what other areas is that affecting? And then finally, the last kind of question was uh, what they call it and the needs payoff question. So how would it, what benefit would it give you if you could achieve these things or if you could eliminate those problems? And they they actually talk their way through everything What's their stat, their situation? What problems are they facing relevant to their goals? What's the business impact of those problems? And how would it help them if they could, you know, achieve those problems or eliminate those problems or, you know, remove barriers to their goals? So to me, learning that questioning was important and then going to Xerox and right away being taught the value of questioning, it was like, well, this makes perfect sense to me. I used to think selling was all about talking and pitching, which I found despicable Mm-hmm. And and instead I decide, I realized that it was really about helping people understand, you know, how you could help improve their business operations.
1: Right. So yeah, it makes perfect sense getting from education into sales, especially mm-hmm. from that perspective. But how did we get? So because you, you said you went to work for Xerox, was that right after college? That, no, that, that was
3: after teaching for four and a half years and being miserable. Okay,
1: so you did education, then we were I teaching did. for four and a half years.
3: Well everybody said, you know, you need to use your college degree. So I used it and <laughs> And they said, at first, they said, after the first year, they said, it gets easier your second year. And it got easier, but it was boring. I wasn't right. interested. You <laughs> what know? were you
1: teaching exactly? what? Oh, age? Don't what?
3: Ask. I was teaching high school kids. Not, okay. it's really so, fun. yeah,
1: you're teaching the most unmotivated possible student you could ever ask to teach, right? I mean, most of the kids in high school. I mean, obviously, there are those who are interested.
3: Really, honest to God, I had really good kids. Yeah? I was the one who was bored, not them. Okay. <laughs> Which tells me that I was truly in the wrong profession. Right. Because yeah. the curriculum, and they want you to do curriculum. And I liked, I like to figure out, I like problems and puzzles and challenges and new things. And, and to have to repeat a curriculum and get yelled at for trying to make it better. Because this was the curriculum. It's like, but yeah, but if we do this and this, it would be stick better. No, this is curriculum. That's, yeah, you
1: have to st- so you didn't yeah. have the blank pages you really wanted. I
3: didn't have blank pages. I had pages that were already <laughs> written and filled up with, <laughs> All these things that other people thought were perfect, but certainly not what I thought was the most important thing necessarily. Right. I mean, yeah. yes, the rights, right, basic stuff, but the how wasn't rolled out well. Not,
2: not something you wanted to spend year after year after year. Oh after my year
3: god! After year. <laughs> okay. no, it's terrible that they wouldn't give you the creative freedom <laughs> hey,
1: to. Huh? It's terrible that they wouldn't give you the creative freedom to develop the lesson plan the way you saw fit. You were supposed to be the subject matter expert, right? The SME. Right. Yeah, I believe it's what it's called. Subject. I
3: believe it, yes.
1: So, but, but they wouldn't give you that creative freedom because it's a school, it's a bureaucracy, and you have to stick to the plan.
3: Well, and the other thing that was interesting to me, having never been in an environment where you um, were in a union, I mean, teachers didn't like other teachers who um, – mm put in more work, you know, but right. just like me, it was, part, bad. You know? yeah. it was the fun part, you know, it was the fun part to go, Oh God, I could move this lesson here. I could add this, you know, thing. But honestly, there was pressure to, you know, if you're going to do this, get paid for it. Cause you like the rest of us look bad if we don't get paid, you know? I mean, right. yeah. it was a bad job for me. Let me just say that it was a bad, not, not a fit, not, not, a, right. f- not I- a bad <laughs> job, but not a good one for me.
1: And you hit something I think that's very important that I hope people listening will take away is that, you and you said it very clearly, you were not happy doing this, which meant, you know, you had to change something.
3: Right, I had to change. Yes. right. You I, mean, I tried changing a lot of things, but it became apparent to me after a few years, I had to find something else.
1: Right. You had to move on to something else. And that's something, I mean, you sort of see it and hear it. And I know I've experienced it myself, you know, where, and I've said this to people, if you're not absolutely overjoyed getting up to do whatever it is you're doing every day, then do something else. Go yep. find something else to totally do.
3: Agree. I I mean, life's uh, too
2: short. Yes. I just read a quote today, and I—I'm I, going to paraphrase because I don't remember the exact of it. But it was basically, if you're feeling tired every day, it's because you are missing that spark that lights yeah. up your life. You know, you're—you're—you're you're, you're not excited about something.
1: Yep, yep. I remember when I used to—I couldn't wait to get up at four o'clock in the morning to record videos before starting mm-hmm. my day when I had to go see clients. Yeah, that's—that's really? that's how I started out I was recording. QuickBooks and accounting videos and uh, while I was already building a consulting practice I, and because I just found I loved doing it. So productive. the only way to do it was to make time to do it, which meant getting up at four in the morning because wow. then I'd have to shower, get dressed, and be ready to go see a client. These days, I don't go see clients on site anymore, but in those days, I usually had to be at a client's office by like 9 a.m. Right, mm-hmm. So I the only time to do it was to squeeze it in, in the morning, but I knew it was what I loved to do. And lo and behold, long story short, it landed me in a place where I was able to do what I really wanted to do, is, which was be able to work remotely. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was really preparing myself for this day and age that we're in today, where we can do so much remotely and not have to necessarily show up and be physically there in person to do what we can do very easily and remotely. I think,
3: I think people think they need to know where they're going and their end goal and or what their passion is. I think people think that, that it, they need to know it prematurely. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, I think you need to move. You need to take steps. Like like you took the step to do the videos because that was something. You had no idea it was going to turn into what you're doing today. Right. For me, the same thing. I mean, I, you know, I I started teaching and then I, you know, and then I, started an idea for a company and spent a year researching a company and pulling together a business plan. And then I found out I had to go into sales in order to make it work. And then I went to sales and discover I loved it. Right. And then, you know, and then I started my own consultancy and ran a consultancy for, for a right. long time. So, I mean, I hadn't, that wasn't part of the plan.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. But Never it was like, it.
3: <laughs> no, it was like each step I did, it was like the movement that I took forward helped me uncover the next thing I needed to learn or, or grow from.
1: Got it. Speaking of that, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what happened, right? We're going to talk about what happened and kind of how you got through from where you started to where you wound up and everything that happened in between with an emphasis on any of the struggles you might have encountered along the way and how we overcame them. So we'll be right back after these brief messages.
0: Intuit QuickBooks is dedicated to powering prosperity around the globe for accountants, small businesses, consumers, and the self-employed. With products and services like QuickBooks Online Accountant and the QuickBooks Pro Advisor Program, accounting professionals can save time, grow their practice, and act as strategic advisors to their small business clients. By working together as partners, Intuit can help you leverage the latest technologies and work with you to create tomorrow's future innovations. Go to quick books.intuit.com to find out more. Nerd Enterprises Incorporated is a numbers agency. We offer a wide range of services, from bookkeeping to financial modeling and cash flow projections. Our consulting services enable you to do what you do best by giving us the accounting and back office tasks that we do best. Nerd Enterprises, Inc. is one of the worldwide leaders in QuickBooks, Microsoft Excel, and other productivity-based training. If it's one-to-one or one-to-many, we log in with you so you can share your screen and we get you through it plus all sessions are recorded so you can review those recordings anytime you like afterwards for more information visit nerd enterprises.com become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america You are listening to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. To find out more, send an email to taap at nerdenterprises.com. That's taap at nerdenterprises.com. Now, back to the Authentic Accountant Podcast.
1: Welcome back, everybody. You're still listening to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. I'm still Seth David. I'm still here with Erica.
3: Hey, everybody.
1: And we're still here with Jill. We haven't scared her off yet.
3: You're trying though,
1: right? <laughs> of course, it's almost <laughs> Halloween. Why not?
3: <laughs> That's true.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so when we left off, you, you'd mentioned that um, you had, you know, kind of started to build a business plan, spent a year. It sounds like as part of that research, you went to work for Xerox to learn about sales. Did I get that right?
3: You got that right. And I stayed at Xerox for five years. Okay. not the one year I planned. And then I went into technology sales Right. After so. That.
1: So, we never got back to that business plan. What happened? What led you away from that? Was it just organic or did you at some point make a decision and say, you know what? Forget it. I'm not going to do that.
3: I was just um, having so much fun learning about sales and and, uh, discovering so much about the workplace and um, my own abilities and what I was capable of. It was just, um, for somebody who's extraordinarily curious like I am, it was a constant learning situation and I kept growing and growing. Um, but after the birth of my second child, I just couldn't do the corporate America scene anymore mm-hmm. because they wanted not just, you know, not just my all my waking hours, but they wanted my firstborn child. And I would have given them given – them <laughs> I liked my firstborn child. It was the second one that tipped me over. <laughs> and they didn't want him. They wanted my firstborn child. No, um, I'm just kidding, but, But the reality is it was just too much. And so I took a year off and then I said, okay, now what am I going to do? And then I set up my own consultancy and went forward. But I mean, that was scary too, because um, at that point I had no customers and I was back in the market and I had to figure out what to do.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. And I read about this on your website, I believe that you, it it sounds like you had two major big corporate clients, funny enough, because you left corporate America only to go consult with them, right? Right. Right.
3: Yeah, so that took, a, that took a while to get to that point. I left corporate America because they wanted, like I said, my heart and soul. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't willing to give them, them to that. But when you're an outsider coming in, you don't have to do the same game. And, you know, your hours aren't, you don't have to be in their office all these certain hours and be there. And instead, you're, you're hired to do a project. And Mm so, for me, um, I initially started my business, and I didn't go after the corporate giants because I didn't have enough self-confidence to do that. Mm -hmm. I truly felt that even though I had sold for bigger companies, I had never done consulting before. And, you know, like, who would hire me? And so, I literally made some very strategic decisions early on that I had to um, build a client base of um, people, and they had to... elevate me over time. I mean I couldn't go to the big firms until I had some other experience behind me that I felt would work. Initially I tried I made some bad decisions and tried to go after real small businesses because they I thought, oh God, those guys are so desperate. They don't know how to sell. But the truth of the matter is, A, they don't value selling, you know, Mm -hmm. they hate it. And B, they don't want to pay for it. So you can't make money. So Mm -hmm. there I you know I chose a wrong target market thinking they really need it. But the thing is, if you're setting up a business, you actually have to find people who are willing to pay for your mm-hmm. services, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not about yeah. people who need it, because there's lots of people who need it, who, like you said, don't value it. Don't it's value more it. about finding the people who value it. <laughs>
3: yes, yeah. it's much more about finding the people who value it. So, over time, I, I, you know, developed some, uh, you know, I developed some clients accidentally, I stumbled on some um, niches in the marketplace that were not being filled. I started focusing my entire business on the unfulfilled niche, which was how to launch new products. Which, by the way, I loved, loved, loved because it was always new and it always put me on the edge. And I had to constantly create new things and figure out how to th- what the puzzle was like, mm-hmm. um, and really developed a, a really good expertise. And then started going to the corporate clients. And once I got in, they, they, you know, they'd hire me for one project, they'd hire me for another one, another one, and they'd have another division in their business unit who would need some work and they you know and so ultimately what happened is i got down to having two major clients now i live in the minneapolis st paul area which is divided by the mississippi river okay mm-hmm. most people don't know that but that's the truth it goes right down the middle minneapolis to the west st paul to the east <laughs> and i lived on the st paul side and it would take a long time to get over to the minneapolis side like you know an hour to get kitty corner from my house now that got to be a long drive and so I started moving to only working with companies on my side of the river
2: and so all my
3: clients were within a 25 minute drive but they were big enough companies in my backyard so it was very profitable but two of my big companies one was 3m and one was summation which no longer exists but um, 3m at that time, you know, it's huge. I mean, it, it kept me afloat. So I had these two great clients. And within a three-month span, uh, both of them came under from pressure from Wall Street. And basically, Wall Street said, thou shalt deliver better earnings. <laughs> and, um, and that meant thou shalt cut all consultants. Extraneous people. That's 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 what it meant to me. And so, within a three month period, ninety five percent of my business is with these two clients. Multiple divisions. I'm thinking I'm safe because I'm in all these different divisions. Boom, gone, and I had to, um, I had to restart everything. Mm-hmm. But but the worst thing was, is they said, "Don't worry, Jill, we'll be back." Right. And so I just waited, you know, and they left you with <laughs> some hope. Right. Oh, yeah, and you know, then the new CEO came in, and the new CEO brought along his minions with him, and, and then they had um, uh, they had Six Sigma, and everything became Six Sigma, and I wasn't Six Sigma certified, and so it never came back, and then I really had to figure out, now what do I want to be when I grow up? Huh, right. Which is a question I've asked it multiple times in my life, and um, I did actually... Um, figure it out, try to go forward with it. And suddenly, and I've been pretty good at prospecting because that's my profession. Suddenly nobody answered the phone. All calls rolled the voicemail. Nobody called me back and, and, um, and nobody responded to my emails.
1: So how did you get over that? I mean, how did you, I know I went, I told you off recording mm-hmm. earlier. I went through something not unsimilar to this yeah. and I remember being devastated. I mean, oh. it, it must have been. And thinking, how am I going to make yeah. a living for yeah. that? Or do I need to go find a job? So how did you navigate? I actually,
3: I actually thought about being a waitress again. I mean, that was always my backup strategy because I'd waitress for seven years, you know, going to high school and college. And honest to God, it wasn't my backup. If any, if push comes to shove, I know how to waitress and I can make good tips. Right. Um, you can see my mother did a good job of making me social, can't you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what did I do? Um, I really had to hone in on uh, uh, my value proposition. I mean, the natural tendency is to try to be everything to all people at that time because you're desperate for work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, people say, well, can you do this? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, and, and again, to go after the smaller accounts that you don't have anything. Um, but you'll laugh when I tell you this. And um, when you're a sales consultant with no clients, it's really embarrassing, mm-hmm. you know, because you're supposed to be able to teach people how to sell and <laughs> you don't have any clients. So I didn't say anything about it for a long time to anybody because it was so pathetic. Um, and then one day I started, I got curious and I started pe- asking people, um, are you guys having trouble prospecting? I mean, it's like nobody answering your phone anymore. and <laughs> And pretty soon I found out that, Everybody was having the problem. And what hit me at that point was I thought it was personal, that, you know, what was wrong with me? Maybe I was over the hill, maybe I didn't everything bring to the world anymore. I mean I, I was, you know, mm-hmm. I was not a happy camper. And then when I detached from those feelings and went, "Wait a minute, wait a minute. everybody's having this problem. It's not personal. It's just something I need to figure out." And now it became a puzzle. And and so I, you know, I went, you know, looking for books and there were no books on on the topic at that point. And, And so then I said, okay, nobody's getting in. Everybody's having that problem. I better figure this out because, you know, I can't be the only one. And so, I I spent a full year researching, and I did get some business during that time, which kept me afloat. It wasn't great business, but it kept me afloat.
1: It was enough to pay the bills.
3: It was enough to pay the bills, yes. Mm -hmm. And I was certainly down from where I'd been previous 10 years, you know, but it kept me afloat. And I kept researching and researching, and, and then started playing with things and saying, okay, if I say this, or if I write this, you know, when I call or send messages, email messages what kind of response am I getting? And I literally actually found a way to get people to respond to me fairly quickly. Um, And at that point, I I thought, wow, there's no book on this and somebody's got to write a book. So I put together a book proposal. And just as I put together a book proposal, a friend of mine who was a consultant also, I hadn't seen him for a long time. He sent me an email and at the bottom, he said, Michael Nick, uh, author of ROI selling. And I went. Michael I didn't know you had written a book and he said yeah are you thinking about writing one too? I said I got a book proposal sitting right here and and he called me on the phone and um before I got done hanging up from him the um he had connected me with his publisher and uh they wanted a proposal and so I had it all ready to go I needed to fine-tune it a little bit and then I called two other publishers and I said, look, I, this, this company is looking at my book and wants a proposal. Are you interested? And, of course, they can't stand it if somebody else might be looking at something that might be good. And so I had three publishers interested. And then the next thing I did is I, as I called an agent that I had been referred to, and I said, look, I've got three publishers interested in my book. Would you be willing to represent me and negotiate terms? And he said, yes, because the hardest part is getting publishers interested. Yeah. Um, And so literally what happened is, I mean, literally things took off. The book came out in 2005. It's called Selling to Big Companies, Mm -hmm. and it's really all about how to set up meetings with buyers in companies. And it was not written for the IBM salesperson or the Xerox salesperson. It was written for the small business person who didn't have a clue how to set up meetings with bigger companies than they were used to. And, you know, so it's even though it says selling to big companies, it probably should have been titled selling to bigger companies. Because I truly believe that every small business person needs to think about how they can work their way up so that they can get sustainable clients that will pay them reasonable fees so that they can do their job. And I know a lot of people listening are, you know, in professional services. They went into it not because they wanted to sell, you know, right. God help them, that last thing that they ever wanted to do, just like I was. But the truth of the matter is, you can't do your job, what you love to do, unless you literally embrace selling as part of the job. And so yep. that's who I write for all the time. And all my books have been written for that.
1: So for it's true. really written for the small person who's trying to sell to IBM, who's trying to get in the- oh, yeah, of-
3: IBM, or even a nice for- mid-sized company. I mean, if right. you're selling to a $3 million company right now, what if you got a $15 million company? They have bigger budgets and more projects, right? Right. You know, right. so it's, it's not written for somebody who wants to get into IBM. A lot of small business people don't even want to do that, but mm-hmm. they want sustainable clients that'll right. pay reasonable uh, fees for their services.
1: Gotcha. And so, so what I get at, first of all, by the way, I love the name Leapfrog Strategies Incorporated. Oh. That was your consulting firm. Yes, yes. Uh, I just think that name's awesome. Yeah. Um, but what I got out of this is, first of all, obviously you didn't give up, right? No. Nope. You kept pushing forward. You said you lined up at least enough to get the bills covered while you then continue to work to build something bigger, right? So you did what you had to do to get covered. And then everything just kind of lined up at the right time. But yes, I,
3: I believe that when you do the, the work, the right work, that, that the universe somehow comes in. I mean, if you told yeah. me that I'd have a book proposal, you know, a publisher wanting to look at my book, you know, as soon as I've written it, I mean, I haven't even started looking for who to send it to and boom, there right. it was. But I believe that that was my job because what I'm really good at is I'm a good explainer.
1: I'm a big fan of the phrase that success is when opportunity meets preparedness, yes. right?
3: Yeah. You were preparing
1: you were preparing yep. and because you were prepared when the opportunity came, you were able to take advantage of it. Right. I remember years ago, I worked with a guy who was a personal trainer and uh, we were kind of bartering services. So mm-hmm. he was giving me training services and I was helping him with some of his bookkeeping mm-hmm. and accounting work. And at one point he says, Hey, I'm going to have to stop doing the training. And I said, why is everything okay? And he says, yeah, I'm just going to be traveling. He's like, I'm going to be speaking now and giving presentations on personal fitness in Australia. And I'm like, how on earth did you get that? And he says, well, I just sat down and even though I wasn't actually hired, I started writing the, the content the way I wanted to present it. And then when the opportunity came, I already had a, a speech ready to go and boom. Right. Right. Yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, that anybody who's listening, you know, the moral of the story is whatever you want to be doing, right? No matter what you may be doing right now, no matter what's going on right now, start working on it. Right. Mm-hmm. Even though, even if nobody's hired you to do it, start working on doing the stuff you really want to be doing. And then somehow the opportunity will line up with your preparedness. That's kind of what I'm learning out of this.
3: Yeah. I mean, I did the work, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I did the work, I did the hard work and, and then I knew I needed to do it. But if you'd have said to me, you know, Jill, do you see yourself as an author? I might have said, well, maybe someday, you know, somehow. Mm-hmm. But now I have five books that I've written. Right. Four sales books and one for people who are job hunting. Um, I thought when I wrote my first book that I had said everything I could ever possibly say, you know, about sales. But I hadn't. I'd only tell people how to get in the door <laughs> and have right. the, and, the first but, meeting, you know?
1: Right and since you mentioned it i know somebody's people are going to want to know so the books we have are selling to big companies then mm-hmm. get back to work faster the ultimate job seekers guide okay
3: and i've pulled that off the market cuz i wrote it for i wrote it for my brother when he lost his job in 2008 okay okay so it was how to get a job and i pulled it off the market now cuz it's dated
1: got it okay and then we have snap selling yes and agile selling
3: okay snap selling is about how to sell to busy buyers who tell you that they're going to work with you or they like you and then decisions get hung up and they never move forward. And you wonder what the heck happened and what did I do to screw up things? That's (laughs) what I'm looking for. Love that. Agile selling is written for somebody who has to sell and gets hired in a company to sell. And it's about how to get up to speed fast in your new sales position. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And my last one, more sales, less time is, is written for people who are selling. It's And about how to live with digital distraction when you spend all your life online and that you aren't getting anything done because you're checking email all the time and you're bouncing from here to there and you're making yourself available to everybody and you're working, you know, you roll out of bed and you pull out your cell phone and you're deleting things in the bathroom and over breakfast and you go to bed at 11 o'clock at night and you're checking email and you're thinking, why am I checking email at 11 o'clock at night? I am not going to be responding to anybody. I'll look like a fool. If I send them an email at this time. So it's written for a human being who is so tired of being digitally distracted, and specifically, it's written for sales.
1: I love that. Every accountant and bookkeeper that I ever talk to every day needs to read that book.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Super relevant, for sure. Oh my God. And I mean, I wrote that one because after writing stamp selling, Everybody said to me, oh, my God, Jill, this is like making all the difference for selling to crazy, busy people, because that's what it's about, how to sell to crazy, busy people. And then they'd look at me and they'd say, but I'm crazy busy, too. What do you have for me? And I said, I don't have a thing for you. I'm dying. I'm dying. (laughs) And and once I realize that the problem isn't mine, you know, then I can, like I said, detach from the problem. Mm -hmm. And I can say everybody's having this problem. I mean, there's got to be something. And finally, one day I just said, I am so sick and tired of living this way. I have to find some answers because I don't have time for my family things. There was one exercise I went through, which said, write down a hundred things you'd like to do in your life. hundred fun things you'd like to do in the future. And I couldn't even think of 20. And, And I'm thinking, what is so wrong with me that I am so burned out? that I can't even think of more than 20 things I'd like to do. And the 20 things all related to travel, like travel to Peru, travel (laughs) to Iceland. You know, it was like, that's like, I couldn't even think of anything fun to do in my own neighborhood because I was working so darn hard and I just was burnt out.
2: Yeah. We got to take another quick break here. Um, But when we come back, we'll, we'll get into a little more about what's going on with you today and uh, what you have in your world now. So we'll be right back.
0: Nerd Enterprises Incorporated is a numbers agency. We offer a wide range of services, from bookkeeping to financial modeling and cash flow projections. Our consulting services enable you to do what you do best by giving us the accounting and back office tasks that we do best. Nerd Enterprises, Inc. is one of the worldwide leaders in QuickBooks, Microsoft Excel, and other productivity-based training. If it's one-to-one or one-to-many, we log in with you so you can share your screen and we get you through it. Plus, all sessions are recorded, so you can review those recordings anytime you like afterwards. For more information, visit nerdenterprises.com. Intuit QuickBooks is dedicated to powering prosperity around the globe for accountants, small businesses, consumers, and the self-employed. With products and services like QuickBooks Online Accountant and the QuickBooks ProAdvisor Program, accounting professionals can save time, grow their practice, and act as strategic advisors to their small business clients. By working together as partners, Intuit can help you leverage the latest technologies and work with you to create tomorrow's future innovations. Go to books.intuit.com to find out more. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. To find out more, send an email to TAAP at nerdenterprises.com. That's TAAP at nerdenterprises.com. Now, back to the Authentic Accountant Podcast.
2: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. I'm Erica. I'm still here with my co-host Seth David. And I'm we're Seth still David. Here. Seth is still here, and we're still here with um, Jill as well. Really excited to get into this next segment um, and hear a little bit about, uh, you know, what Jill has for us in store in terms of recommendations or, you know, what she thinks uh, selling is today for all of us and what sort of wisdom she can impart for us. Um, I'm really excited because I think selling just the term in itself has uh, stigma sort of attached to it. And we all sort of cringe when we hear it. So uh, I think anything you can offer us in terms of turning that around would be very helpful
3: for everyone so welcome back thank you where do we want to start
1: let's say you're talking to a small business owner and let's pick on probably the people who make up the bulk of our audience at least as of today which would be a lot of other accountants and bookkeepers and Mm -hmm. we know that accountants and bookkeepers hate selling they hate feeling like they're selling so imagine face-to-face with one of them and they're telling you this. I don't want to sell. I just, I do bookkeeping. I do numbers. I, I don't want, what do you, where do you start with somebody who's in that place?
3: You start by agreeing with them that selling <laughs> is disgusting. I mean, I, I hate to say that, but <coughs> selling or their perception of selling is disgusting. And and I wouldn't want to do it either. And if you remember, I started out by saying, I hate selling, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's only because it's the perception that we have is from used car salesmen and telemarketers that call us with a pitch and push. You know, they're a one call operation. They need to get you to do something fast, and it has nothing to do with what really happens in a in a sales situation. Um, I I think the word pitch is the most disgusting thing. I think any accountant or a bookkeeper who has to give a pitch where they have to promote their own services is absolutely right to be disgusted by it. Cause it's like ugly and smarmy and ishy. So I would agree with people. And, and when you tell them that they have to put on their sales hat and get out there and sell, that's the vision they have having to make the pitch and having to, you know, talk about how wonderful they are. And that's absolutely wrong. It's like, it's like that's the worst salesperson of the world, and so no, they don't want to replicate the worst salesperson. I mean, the worst accountant or bookkeeper in the world sucks at math. You know, I mean, <laughs> we're going to put that person up as the one we don't want to be like. I don't want to be an accountant. That, you know, <laughs> too many of them suck at math. You know, they're lousy at this kind of stuff. So we have a wrong perception. It's an issue. Again, I'm going to say something else that's real important. Nobody's going to be able to practice what they what they're you know they are good at unless they decide that they are going to figure out what selling is. And and they're going to figure out what they can do to create a sustainable business so that they can do the work that they love. So what I've discovered over time is that selling is absolutely a skill. It is a skill, but it's not the skill that most people think it is. It's the skill of being a consultant and the skill of being interested and focused on customers. And it's truly all about the people we work with. It is not about how wonderful and great we are. Um, The, you know, yes, people have to get customers. They have to get it. And yes, it's probably going to require them to phone some people up and to have conversations with strangers and to, you know, to talk about what they do. But it doesn't have to be in a bad sort of way. I mean, one of the things that I always found, you know, like, for example, when I started my consultancy, what do you do, Jill? I'm a sales trainer, you know. I I um I have offer a full range of training programs on how to get up to speed in selling, how to, you know, give demonstrations, how to how to close deals, how to negotiate, blah, blah, blah. You know, and that's what I'd say, and they go, Oh, that's really nice. And then they'd want to escape from me. <laughs> But that's true. Don't you feel that way? When, oh, yeah. Well, what do you do? And so I ask you, what do you? I'm an accountant. And I go, oh, that is really boring. You know, <laughs> it's not, it's not boring. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I'm being in your face today. But, you know.
1: No, it's perfect. And I'll tell you something right there. As long Since you brought it up, when somebody asks me what I do, I never say I'm an accountant. Because yeah. I know they're going to immediately put me in a box that's mm-hmm. not the box to put me in. I usually say something more like, I help businesses. You know, I start there.
3: I help, I help businesses, business.
1: yeah. right? And, and, and to elaborate on that, it's usually something along the lines of, you know, we do everything from bookkeeping to CFO consulting. So I, I, I elaborate from there and say, you know, I help businesses grow by analyzing their numbers and learning to use that information intelligently.
3: Okay. So now that's a really good response. It's not, I'm an accountant, thud. Right. I'm a bookkeeper, thud, you know? Well, mm-hmm. We offer all these services. It's I work with companies to analyze their numbers, to identify ways to help them grow and be more profitable. Mm-hmm. That's what they want. Right. So this is like talking the language of the people we're talking to. What do they care about? They don't care about accounting services. They don't care about bookkeepers. I mean, I've got an accountant and a bookkeeper, you know, I don't go around going, ah, oh, I can't wait to meet another <laughs> bookkeeper. But I do go, how is my money being spent? Where are there opportunities to cut back? Where are there op- Where should I be investing more in order to leverage what I've already built? And if you talk to somebody in that kind of terminology, they go, oh, you know, that makes a difference. When I was working on product launch stuff and I talked to corporate executives, they'd say, what do you do? And I told you I did the sales training stuff. And they go, we already have our sales training covered. That's what they say. We already have it covered. Or we just did our sales training, which meaning brush off, go away. <laughs> um, but when I changed it to, you know how when you I work with companies on product launches, and you know how when you launch a new product, you know, marketing's got all these really high expectations and they're really gung-ho, and they and they throw it over to your sales organization, they tell you to go get them, and they, yeah, yeah, that's what they do. And they say, and then three months later, what do your salespeople tell you? They tell you that the product doesn't, it's overpriced and it doesn't have the capabilities that, that our customers need and and, it, and they can't sell it. And the marketing goes, see, those salespeople, they can't sell value. And now you've got these finger pointing things and they go, oh my God, have you worked for our company before? <laughs> and I'd say, no, but that's the problem I solve. And they say, well, what do you do? I said, well, we got to figure out the right way to launch those products in order to you know shorten time to in order to shorten time to revenue on new product launches. Shorten time to revenue. That was the that. thing. Yep. But I talked the problem. You know how as a small business you're struggling with trying to figure out, you know, where you know what is the best use of your financials or if you've got any places that you're leaking, I help small businesses identify those problem areas where they're leaking money and they don't even know what to do with them and, and help them find new ways to do it better. But it's focusing on them. Now that's what they do. That's what they really do. Not, I'm an accountant or I'm a sales trainer. That is awful. Right. And then,
2: I think it sounds like the key to that then is knowing who your ideal client is then or who yes. your ideal customer is then. Yes, absolutely. Clear on that, And not being one of those people who sells to everyone.
3: Right. You can't. For example, I never sold to B2C companies. I mean, Target's in my backyard. Best Buy is in my backyard. Uh, General Mills is in my backyard. Uh, not my client's. Mm -hmm. Not my clients, because I have a specialty in selling services, business and and, and professional service, and I have a specialty in selling technology. I don't talk to anybody else besides that.
1: Right. So picking a niche, it's become more, it's it's very, very important. I think in recent years, especially in the accounting industry, we've really seen a push that way, you know, that you have to specialize. And this is a perfect example of why, because then your selling will improve Yes. Because like you just pointed out, we have to talk to our customers from their own perspectives, right? right. Most, most accountants are typically, they're notorious for this, for selling the features and not the benefits, right? right? And so they're telling you all about their experience and how much they've done and the customer doesn't care. Customer wants to know, okay, great. What's in it for me? How's this going to help me? That,
3: right? That's all that matters. Yeah. Right.
1: And how's my life going to be different now that I'm working with you? Right.
3: I think the other thing, too, that's really important about selling that most people don't realize, and I talked about it earlier, is the importance of good questions, Mm -hmm. and um, you asked me before about my background. I'm going to give you a quick story. Being a nerd, when I, you know, I did not do well in in ad-libbed conversations, you know, I I had to be prepared, and one of the things when I was 16, 17 years old is I wanted to date, you know, and I wanted to date, but I didn't want to just go out and date for a guy for one date, because if they didn't ask you out again, you had failed in your first date, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, God. All that pressure at such a young age.
3: Oh so. my God, you know, and so, and so, you know, I had to have them ask me out a second time, because otherwise I, and, and honest to God, that's like selling too, you know, you can't just have one meeting, you got to have another meeting. So anyway, <laughs> being the nerd that I was, I studied, how do you get guys to ask you out, and A, ask you out again, B, ask you out again, and I read something in Seventeen magazine that said, You want guys to like you. Ask them questions. Okay, now, I am a nerd. I don't think well under pressure. (laughs) Um, So say I was going out with Doug, and Doug was a hockey player. I'm from Minnesota. Hockey player, and he's on the football team, and he also played trumpet. You know? Okay, this is the data I know about Doug. What 10 questions could I write down to ask him on the date?
1: That's hilarious. You actually oh, yeah. prepared for the date and pre-wrote your question. That's I awesome. did.
3: And I sequenced my question,
2: you know, because some questions come. Other.
3: Yes. Well, some of them are layered questions, you know, and if it's football season, you would ask a football season question first. And then, and you know, you'd ask in, in hockey season, you'd ask a hockey question. How'd you get involved in hockey, Doug? You know, and then, okay. So here's what happened. End of date. Oh no. Middle of date. You know, I prepared my questions because you prepare them and you write them down ahead of time. You remember them better. But sometimes I forgot my questions. And so what I would do is I would say, if you excuse me, I have to go to the bathroom. (laughs) And I go to the bathroom and I pull out my 10 questions from my purse and review them and come back out and continue the conversation. And at the end of the night, invariably, this is what they'd say. Oh, my God, Joe, we have so much in common. I feel like I've known you forever. That's hilarious.
1: All because you got them talking yeah. about themselves, which them is usually their favorite themselves. subject.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. But that's the client's favorite subject, too. And so, for anybody who's feeling nerdy like me, like, well, I don't know what to ask. You know I mean? Like, sit down and think of a structure. You ask about the situation first. How are you currently handling your needs in this area? What, where, what are your objectives? What are you trying to achieve in 2019? What bottlenecks and things do you think might prevent you from achieving these, these goals, you know, what have you currently done, you know, what have you implemented right now to help you? And, you know, what do you think would be the biggest priorities? I mean, those are questions that anybody could ask on any call if they introduce themselves as I help clients, like you were saying. Right. Do that. Yeah. But there yeah. is a sequence of questions and there's and smart people Shouldn't just, think, I mean, under pressure, smart people get dumb and they ask stupid questions or they can't think of anything or the other person's talking and all they're doing is thinking of the question they're going to try to ask next. Smart people will come prepared. Just like an accountant or a bookkeeper would come prepared for everything else, they should come prepared for a conversation and write down their questions and even pull them out if necessary to say you know, I did prepare for today's, you know, meeting because I, you know, want your time is valuable and here's the things I'm thinking. I just you know, I have some questions I'd like to ask. It's not A quiz, it's a conversation, though.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that very last thing that you said, especially that it's a conversation. You know, most of our leads at Nerd Enterprises are inbound, right? Mm -hmm. I produce a lot of these videos, and they generate leads and traffic. People call us. So they already come to us with a a problem on their minds. So my favorite thing to do to start off the conversation is to just say, hey, tell me what's going on with your business. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the way I describe the next move is I take the cotton out of my ears, I put it in my mouth, and I start taking notes. I ca- I practically you write know. a transcript of what they're telling me because yeah. along the way, yes. they're going to be telling me exactly what I need to be selling them. And then, you know, selling, quote, unquote. And yeah. then all I have to do is kind of feed that back to them and figure, okay, you, this, you just told me what you need. Here's yeah. what it looks
3: You're like. It. Yeah.
1: Right, then it's just a question of agreeing on the value or the price, right?
3: And, and you know, a lot of people too, and you said you take copious notes, a lot of people don't want to take notes because they think that that might, you know, make them look a little weak or they, you know, want to try to remember it all. There's no way you can remember it all. And the only thing you have to say to people if you're with them in person is, do you mind if I take notes? I want to, you know, make sure that I capture everything they're saying so I can understand your business better and hopefully, you know, come up with some ideas that will really make a difference. So you just... Yeah. Tell them that. Do you mind if I take notes? Everybody thinks, oh, God, he's taking notes about what I'm, you know, what I'm saying.
1: You're validating that it's important to you, yes, that they're important to you.
3: important right? to you. Yeah. That,
1: hey, I don't want to miss anything. Yeah, do me a favor. I'm just going to take some notes while you're telling me what's going on with your business. And
3: those are some real simple things, I think, for most people, when they think about selling, they, they blow it at the beginning. Because they try to do the pitch and they stop to not think it's all about their customer or their potential client, that it is really about them and really they should be focusing on them and it's a function of the questions that they're asking. Right. Maybe a one sentence overview of, you know, I typically work with, um, with um, you know, companies in the 10 to 15 or, you know, $15 million range and that are in the medical devices industry, you know, who are struggling with these problems. I mean, that's all you have to say.
1: Yeah. I just love how you said it's a conversation. And I think it's a conversation where your job as the quote unquote salesperson is to find out where they're struggling and then show them how you can solve those problems, period.
3: Show them how you can help. That's all it is.
1: Yeah. Keep it simple. You don't have to trick anyone into buying something. Just be real. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's a perfect note to end on because we are at the end of the final segment. Jill, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. I will make sure that all of your books are linked in the show notes. I'll follow up with you just to confirm one of the books I know you said you pulled off the market because it was dated. So we'll make sure we get the current and accurate information in the show notes. So everybody, when you uh, see this episode, just check the description for the link so that you can get over and get all the information about where you can uh, find Jill and all the information that she has to offer.
2: Thanks again, Jill. Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for tuning in. New episodes of the Authentic
0: Accountant Podcast are heard every week on the Voice America Business Channel and on your favorite podcast site. Please join Seth David and Erica Ed again soon for another edition and another complete story of success. The Authentic Accountant is sponsored by Intuit. Intuit helps you leverage the latest technologies and works with you to create tomorrow's future innovations for your firm. Visit quickbooks.intuit.com.